panel on RNZ National, Ali Jones and Andrew Hoggard joining me uh, this afternoon. Now those living in the uh, Upper North Island are being urged to prepare for Tropical Cyclone Gabrielle set to reach New Zealand uh, this weekend. And Met Service said the path of Tropical Cyclone Gabrielle was uncertain at this stage, but the severe weather was likely to start on Sunday and go through until Tuesday. So in the meantime, what can people do to prepare with us as Acting Director of Civil Defence Emergency Management, Roger Bell. Roger, uh, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Pleasure. Now, uh, not the news we want to hear after the widespread flooding, which you know people are still cleaning up in Auckland, but also beyond. I mean, how concerned is Civil Defence about this incoming cyclone? Yeah, no, we are very worried, and obviously uh, there's a lot of um, tired uh, people, especially in the Auckland region, but also in Coromandel, Bay uh, of Plenty, and other parts that have had the impacts of severe weather in, in, in recent, uh, you know, days and weeks. Um, but we are unfortunately, you know, having to pivot towards this now, and uh, we are concerned. Um, it's got the hallmarks. It's on a scale that. Um, According to our Met Service advisors, um, we need to be reaching back to uh, Cyclone Fahey and Gita, uh, back to thinking about Cyclone Bernie, which was in 1982, uh, that, that impacted on Auckland, um, and and uh, think about the sorts of effects that those events had, because this could be uh, potentially similar. And although the forecast is, you know, as we get closer, it will become more certain, but there's enough confidence there in, in the fact that we're going to have a severe um, an impactful um, event for parts of New Zealand. Right, yes. Uh, now, when when are we expecting to get just a better picture of of that path of the cyclone? I mean, it's what's uh, Thursday today, uh, yeah. and I guess the picture becomes a bit clearer as the time moves on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that as we get in towards the end of tomorrow, Friday, we'll, we'll have a, um, quite a bit more certainty. Um, I think we'll, we'll need to leave it to, you know, the Met Service and the other pro- the providers to, to advise us on that. Um, but, but the, you know, uh, our expectation at the moment is that it's touching the north, you know, that Northland area from sort of late Sunday, early Monday, picking its way down uh, and into more sort of central areas of North Island on Tuesday. But there is still quite a bit of uncertainty there just as to, to which way it will will wriggle, uh, as the Met Service like to say, and, and we'll just be staying in close touch with them. Right, good on you, uh, Roger. And stay with us because uh, I, th- I know that uh, Andrew and uh, Ali, they're here. They're, they are in the South Island, but uh, mm. what, what, will they want to chuck in a comment, Andrew? Well, Men or Two's North Island. <laughs> but, oh, you're yeah, Men or Two. Guess... Sorry about that. Sorry, my, 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 right. my apologies, Andrew. Yeah. No, um, I guess the key uh, thing that I'd be most worried about is uh, obviously if we get the same amount of rain, we've got that flooding risk, but if there's quite a bit of wind, um, given the saturated nature of the soils, we could, I guess, potentially see a hell of a lot of trees coming down, taking out um, power lines, blocking roads, creating even more havoc. So, yeah, Yeah. do we we have a handle on what the winds might be? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Andrew. And um, Met Service are saying that um, aside from that uh, re- re- really heavy belt of rain that's going to come with the slow-moving event, you know, and they're saying parts of the far north could get sort of two to three hundred mils, um, but they are also saying uh, really severe gales. And 
So the effect of that um, on, on trees which are already on destabilised or sodden ground um, it has the potential to sort of bring uh, slips, um, trees down onto power lines to get power cuts. Uh, and those are the sorts of things that people, you know, we're encouraging them to think about. So if, 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 you're, if you're looking ahead and, and doing a bit of prep um, and, and doing a bit of prep talk with your um, family and your whanau, um have you got the ability to um, keep the household going for 24 or 48 hours if you haven't oh. got power? So, so those are really basic things are important to be thinking of right now. How can you keep going for the next uh, house, your house going for the next uh, 24 hours if you haven't got power? Good advice there, Reggie. Good something to think about. Roger, uh, Ali Jones? Yeah, look, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that's the key. And after having lived through what we've lived through in Christchurch and people having, uh, you know, emergency packs ready and automatically thinking that way, I think it's faded a bit over the 10 years, but it takes an awful long time before you can go anywhere and sort of uh, make sure your phone is charged, make sure your car's got petrol in it or diesel in it. And I think the advice from NEMA, the National Emergency Management Agency, on their Get Ready uh, website is absolutely brilliant. And I would just um, implore that people do follow that, consider that. And also don't dump on the experts and the emergency people if this rain doesn't come you know you seem to be damned if you do and damned if you don't better to err on the side of caution and I think make sure that you do have your plans ready and you can't you've got fresh water but you have got you know your phone charged and things like that good advice yeah that's absolutely right Ali and I'm glad you mentioned that um, get ready uh, website there's a lot of fantastic resources and and there's resources that are targeted um, um, at flooding uh, or, or weather events, and you know whether you're a school or a business or or a, or a family home, uh, there's stuff there for you. Um, and and we just encourage people to just sort of stay tuned into their local civil defence channels, right. um, social media for the local stuff, uh, and and also the social media channels of their uh, utility providers, you know, power and roads, because that's where that's where you'll, you'll get sort of good sort of um, local and hopefully tighten the information. That's what we want to see. Um, and, and look, yeah, it is about having your, your kit ready, um, your bag ready if you need to get out. But we're also really sort of emphasising this time. To, it's time to have that um, cordero with, with your flatmates or your whanau about, OK, what's the plan here? Who's looking after um, the older um, folks in our family network? Um, where are the kids going to be? Um, oh. If we're out of, out of home and we can't get back, where are we going to go? So having that plan and thinking about it ahead of time. So that's what we're really trying to encourage people to do in, in the next day or two. Okay, so having a plan both with your whānau, your flatmates, your neighbours, but also, uh, I guess, having that plan B in case you need to get out. So that, uh, I guess, that would mean um, uh, pack a bag? Yeah, it's, Maybe. it's important Yeah, it's important to have a, um, a, a sort of a go bag or a you know, getaway kit with a few... Uh, basic essentials, change of clothes, um, spare medication, maybe, um, uh, you know, a, a, a charger for your cell phone, oh, those yes. sorts of things. And, and, have, and have an understanding beforehand and, and maybe an arrangement with a, with a, uh, a, a, you know, a friend or a family uh, who, who somewhere else you can go to uh, so you're not sort of thinking at 2 a.m. in the morning, oh, you know, I have nowhere to go, I'm going to have to throw myself at the mercy of... of of, of, of the local civil defence centre, which, you know, they'll, they'll always help. Um, but um, uh, it's, it, you're going to be much more comfortable uh, and it's going to be, you know, easier on the system if people have, have got a plan ahead of time for that sort of thing. I appreciate your time, Roger. Thanks for being with us today.
Um, that is Roger Bell there, Acting Director of Civil Defence Emergency Management uh, and Civil Defence do say, look, uh, stay informed in an emergency, listen to the radio or follow your Civil Defence Emergency Management Group online. Uh, as Roger said, be prepared to evacuate and keep your grab bag near, listen to emergency services, follow any instructions about evacuation of your area. Uh, move pets to a safe place, move stock to higher ground. If you have to leave, take your pets with you. If it's not safe for you, it's not safe for them. Turn off water, electricity and gas if advised to. Move valuable and dangerous items as high above the floor as possible, and that includes electrical equipment and chemicals. Use watertight containers to store important items uh, and check on your neighbours and anyone else. Mm who may need your help, and indeed um, uh, that phone charger and your phone. Uh, it's the real essence of connectivity. But, Ali, listen to this. I mean, a lot of this will be going through your mind. And and actually one thing that we are, many of us are feeling, and colleagues as well and friends, is that notion of impending anxiety. And I guess you could really relate to that. In fact, you've talked about that on the panel before. Yeah, absolutely. And I have thought about that. And I think the difference, though, with the earthquakes is that there there was and is no warning. So those aftershocks and some of those really mighty aftershocks come from absolutely nowhere. I'm not saying it's any easier or any less anxious yeah. for people in Auckland, but there is a bit of a warning here. We know we heard we heard Andrew. Was it Andrew that we spoke to? Then? Yeah, Roger. Sorry, the um, yeah, Roger, Roger. Sorry, mm. we heard we heard Roger say, you know, we should know better by the end of Friday. Um, and so a little of the anxiety is removed by that forward warning. I think the earthquakes, the really big thing there was just the ongoing, um, uh, we just didn't know what was going to happen as far as the, the ground shaking went. But really good advice from him. And neighbours, you can never underestimate how important it is to check on your neighbours, know your neighbours, have their phone number, um, charge your power banks for your phones, that's the other thing. If you haven't got electricity and there is no electricity, it's not point in taking a charger, but if yeah. you've got a power bank, at least you can charge your phone oh, off that. Nice one, yeah. 19 past four. Now a trial on some Auckland buses has found drivers falling asleep at the wheel and an undeniable risk of fatigue. Autosense has camera units that pick up someone asleep for 1.5 seconds or more. The units then shake the seat to wake them. The Auckland bus driver trial uh, a couple of years ago detected 11 driver micro-sleeps on 20 buses in two months. Official figures show in 2020 and 2021, 25 people died in road crashes where fatigue was identified as playing a part. Now, RNZ's Phil Pennington has reported on the issue this today, this morning. So how much of a problem is driver fatigue? What do we need to be looking at? Lee Signal is Professor in Fatigue Management and Sleep Health at Massey University. Professor uh, Signal, welcome to the programme. Yara Wallace, thank you. It's certainly a concerning issue in any circumstance, but certainly in the context of driving a bus, that's a big issue. Yeah, it is. Um, it is frightening to hear that there are um, potential instances of people falling asleep at the wheel in any commercial vehicle um, or any vehicle we have on our roads. That is true. Do you see this issue often cropping up in different organisations that of micro sleeping, taking mini, or not naps, but just you know, closing your eyes for a few seconds. 
Um, I think that uh, it's it's unfortunately it's not as rare as we would like it to, to be. Um, those falling asleep events are the very extreme end of the fatigue continuum um, when people are actually having very short periods of sleep um, when they're not intending to. There's also a lot of things that happen prior to those falling asleep events. Um, our functioning changes well in advance of that in terms of our ability to pay attention, um, to respond quickly, make decisions, be aware of what's going on around us. Um, there are a raft of changes that happen leading up to that. So when yeah. we look at things like official stats and um, some of the information com that's coming out here, it's probably actually only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I was actually thinking about this all day. It was this the Philip Pennington's piece was about uh, bus drivers, but then I thought, hang on, I'm talking to a, um, a fatigue management expert. Then I thought, hang on, sleep is a massive workplace issue, be it aviation, forestry, trucking, manufacturing. I mean, these are there are so many thousands of jobs you cannot afford to be fatigued. Oh, absolutely. And I think that there are most organisations out there that are working in those spaces are really aware of the risk that fatigue poses within their organisation. Um, and there are lots of really proactive, um, sensible organisations trying to do a raft of things to identify and manage the risk of fatigue. Well, let's go around the panel on this. Shall we start with you, Andrew, because I know that fatigue. We, we talk about fatigue uh on farms in the context of injuries. Yeah, and I think it is probably, you know, one of the, if you look at the stats around injuries and often it's people are, they're tired, they're on the last job of the day, they want to get home. And I remember hearing a presentation, I think it was from WorkSafe, sort of suggesting that that's where a lot of the accidents on quad bikes and the like occur when, you know, it's just right at the end of the day, you need to get home, that last job, um, make a bad decision or not quite thinking straight and, you know, go down the back, um, put it in reverse when they meant to go forward, that sort of thing. And yeah. so it's, it is a challenge. And I think, you know, it, I'm not sure you can get all the technology you can get. And I've got my, so I've got that iSense um, stuff in my car that oh, you tells do? me if I'm not looking out the window. Yeah. It just it makes a little buzz and it turns the radio off and um, you know just flashes a little warning. Look at look out the window or you know keep your eyes up. Um, and yeah, it's it's damn useful because sometimes you you just sort of your eyes can sort of drift away from the steering wheel and you're not even thinking about it when you're on a, a long commute and that warning goes. Oh, yep, keep my head up, keep looking. So, Lee, uh, obviously uh, useful for some. I'm just wondering, um, is, is, I mean, will tech solutions help or do we need to go back to basics, actually, you know, somehow reduce fatigue, get more sleep or otherwise? Look, I'm, I'm not anti-technology by any stretch of the imagination, um, but my concern around um, some of the tech systems that are coming in is that people see them as a, a bit of a magic bullet. And if we use this, we're somehow going to fix our fatigue problem within our particular um, situation. And I do think, I agree with you, I think there's a lot that can be done um, you know, much further upstream that we need to be thinking about um, to be able to 
you know, identify and prevent fatigue. Um, and, and some of the things that were being done in that bus driver trial are actually fantastic. They talk about trying to educate the workforce. And so, you know, people understanding these are the circumstances that, that create fatigue. These are things that happen in my home life as well as in my work life that might make me more fatigued um, and that if I'm fatigued at work, these are the steps I need to take to let somebody know that I don't think I'm safe and okay to continue. Right. Because although, although we're not actually very good at knowing how impaired we are or exactly when we're going to fall asleep, our brains are really good at telling us when we're sleepy and we need to listen to them more often. So if you're sleepy and you're behind the wheel of a vehicle, you should not be there. Um, oh end of story. Yeah, no, uh, also on the bus driver thing, um, the, 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 there are, there, there's that issue of long, long shifts, including split shifts as well, I might add. Uh, Ellie? That, well, that's similar to what I was just going to ask, actually. Do we know if this fatigue is related to people partying, not getting enough sleep or whatever, or is it down to workload? Can we actually break it down to where this fatigue comes from? Um, often it's from all of those um, sources. It's the lives people live, the fact that there's a young child in the house, um, there's other people coming and going, they're having to, to do early starts, long days, late finishes, and they all add up together. But I, um, And that's why I think going back to some of those basics is really important in terms of working with the workforce, the people at the coalface, to help them understand what the issues are that are going to contribute to their fatigue, and then helping them identify it in themselves and others. I, those, that technology, like I said, I'm not against it, but it's, if I was to put together a toolbox, um, it wouldn't necessarily be one of the tools that I would be immediately oh. putting in my toolbox for managing fatigue. I'd be thinking of you know, creating a culture and creating an environment where we talk about fatigue and it's okay to say, I don't think I should be driving right now. Um, and I work with lots of fantastic organisations that have really good processes and policies in place where if you put your hand up to say, I don't think I'm safe to be doing this, they say, fantastic. Thank you for okay. letting us know. Let's get you home. Let's get you safe. Um, have a good sleep. And let's come back and talk about this once you've caught up on, on the sleep loss. Right. And so it's about creating that culture and that environment in which we can really discuss and understand what's going on here. And I, and I just get concerned that, that like I said, that t those tech solutions look black and white, they look simple, and they look like they're going to solve our problem. But fatigue is complex, and so there's not going to be any simple magic fix for it. Got it and hey. that can be really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, such, it's just so interesting. It affects so many people, doesn't it? So nice to have you with us. That is uh, Lee Signal, their professor in fatigue management uh, at uh, Massey. Uh, someone says, long-distance train drivers have alarms to keep them awake. Uh, my car will alarm and auto-steer if I fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, but considering that... Uh, affects so many uh, in the workforce uh, does fatigue um, do you come across fatigue issues where you work uh, text me 2101 email of the panel at rnz.co.nz now uh, 28 past 4 briefly here here's a story that caught my eye the world's largest movie chain AMC is set to charge more depending on where you sit in the movie theatre they plan to offer three price points, standard option, a value offering for front row and select accessible seats and a preferred price point for the most popular seats. Where are they? 
they're in the middle. Some moviegoers have said, let's boycott this chain. It's elitist and also, frankly, classist. Um, you pay for different seats in an airline, but the people like Elijah Wood, they've come out and saying, hey, um, this is going to a movie is democracy in action. This is just rubbish. But I want to see where our panelists stand on this. Would you pay more for the middle seats? Andrew. Yeah, I probably would. You don't see any issue in that? You wouldn't go, oh, that's just rubbish. That's this classist stuff. Or would you say, actually, um, I want a bit of you. No problems. Yeah. I mean, if I want, yeah, if I was going to the movies and it was, say, a movie I wanted to see for a long time, oh, you know, real keen to go and see, and I want to get best experience and really enjoy it, um, then I'd be willing to pay you know, that bit extra if it um, guarantees me that I'm not sort of, you know, sort of looking at it sideways. Um, so, but isn't, yeah, isn't going to the cinemas... It's just like flying. You, you, no, you no. pay for is, you want a bit of experience, you pay more for it. Isn't the cinemas um, just a bit different, as Elijah Wood said? It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's your passage of... Uh, Right, from child to adult, it's one of democracy, it's one of a quality alley where every single ticket should be the same price. What do you think? No, I think that's nonsense, actually. I can't even believe that he thought that that was a real argument. I think what the issue here is, I, I wouldn't pay more for the seat. And the reason I wouldn't is there isn't a film really that would would get me to the cinema. I'm not the sort of person that will line up at midnight for something that's coming out, you know, at 12.01 um, the next day. So I would wait until it's streamed somewhere or comes out on DVD. Uh, and I think cinemas need to understand that this is a very competitive environment. And I don't think they're going to do their industry any good or this change is going to do themselves any good but, uh, by making it more difficult well, for people to, to go to movies. Elijah Wood, to you both, blasted them. They said, look, the movie theatre is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all, and this new initiative would essentially penalise people for lower income and reward for higher income. But you two, who said that? Elijah Wood, said that Elijah Wood said yes, that, and, yeah. and, you, and you two do not have a problem with that. No, I think it's rubbish. I, I'd like to know where he gets yeah. the sense or the idea that this comes that this has got anything to do with equality or democracy. Where where has the cinema ever been um, a, a great melting pot of people? Where's he getting that information from? Yeah. Andrew, it's just a business, and they can do what they want. Um, if they Absolutely. want to charge more for a certain seat, they will. Um, you know, I never go to the big one in Palmy anymore. There's a movie I want to watch. Wait till it's on the, the cinema golden field. It's not the big like an airline. It. It's just a big space where every single blimmin' seat is the same. I just don't understand where you two are coming from, quite frankly. It's not the front uh, row. They want to do it, and it works. That's their business. If it fails, well, they've learned a lesson. Mm. It's, yeah, it's the market democracy. You're on the panel. Uh, Ali Jones and uh, Andrew Hogger with me, they don't see a problem. They don't see an issue with um, the middle stars, middle seats in a cinema being charged more. Elijah Wood, he said, it is basically undemocratic. What do you think? Or classist.